When we read the Christian scriptures, we believe we're doing more than simply studying an ancient text. We believe God actually speaks to us through these words. So let's take a moment of silence to clear our minds and quiet our hearts so we can listen to God's word. Our reading this week is from the Gospel of Luke. While Jesus was still speaking, a crowd appeared, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the human one with a kiss? When those around him recognized what was about to happen, they said, Lord, should we fight with our swords? One of them struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Jesus responded, Stop, no more of this. He touched the slave's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come to get him, Have you come with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a thief? Day after day I was with you in the temple, but you didn't arrest me. But this is your time when darkness rules. Thanks, Julian. Friends, let's pray together. God, thanks that you are here, that you're with us, that we don't have to beg you to show up or somehow try to conjure your presence, but that you, Jesus, are with us that we gather in your presence and that your spirit is moving. And so we pray that you would help us to hear and to respond, to be different because of our time with you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want a fist or gun or cages to do within the heart of human beings what only love can accomplish. Why? Because we don't trust that love is as powerful as a sword. So says author Paul Young. What do you think? I mean, should we just go ahead and come out swinging? With our fists? With our words? Because really, honestly, let's, let's think about this for a moment. Let's talk about this for a moment. What has the power to get stuff done? Not just in the church. But in our communities, in our relationships, in our families, in our city, what has the power to actually do something, to bring change, to heal injustice, to make the wrongs right, to bring change in our lives, in our families, in the lives of others, to, to soothe our fears, to bring peace, or at least maybe just a few moments of quiet? Should we just come out swinging, bring out the tanks, bulldoze our way? to what we want. We're in the season of Lent, this 40-day journey with Jesus to the cross, and it's a season marked by themes of repentance. Repentance literally it just means to change our mind, to change our mind. We're in the season of looking at the upside-down ways of Jesus, trusting that in the upside-down ways, Jesus is actually turning the world right side up. And so Lent is a season of discovering life and freedom and grace in unexpected places, like our own mortality and our finiteness, our brokenness, and most supremely with a God who suffers and dies for us hanging from a cross. And here in Luke chapter 22, we're, we're headed to the end. It's the final events, the final moments in the life of Jesus. And the action, it, it's picking up as the collision course is set. Here, in what Julian just read, Jesus is betrayed. Jesus is arrested. 
Soon he'll be put on trial. And in our passage, the disciples, they realize, they realize what's going down. The, the mob of religious leaders, the captain of the temple guards, they, they've come for Jesus. And this honestly is a living nightmare for the disciples. Because all of their hopes and all of their dreams and all of their expectations of what God would do, it's all pinned on Jesus. And they expected God to send a Messiah, an anointed one, one who would overthrow the Romans, who would take up the sword, topple the foreign occupation force, set their nation as the dominant power in the world. That's what they're looking for. That's what they're expecting. That's what the hope that they're pinning on Jesus. They want God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven with this like spectacle of strength and might. Here's what they're looking for. They want God to do something about their pain and their suffering and their oppression. And the crowd is here to arrest Jesus. And the disciples ask, Lord, should we fight? Master, should we fight? Should we come out swinging? Is this the moment? Is this the revolution that we've been waiting for? Is this it? Should we come out swinging? And they don't even wait for an answer. They're like, clearly, this is rhetorical. I've been paying attention to your teaching. Here we go. Church, what should we do? What has the true power, the real power to bring change? Not just in human hearts, like that opening quote talked about, but in our communities and systems and structures in our society, in our workplaces, in public life. Master Jesus, should we fight? Should we come out swinging? Should we just force our way forward, whether with our fist or our words or our tweets? Should we use our power to force our agenda as a church? Really, honestly, should we just come out swinging? Here's how Matthew describes the arrest of Jesus in his gospel account. One of those with Jesus reached for his sword, striking the high priest's slave. He cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put the sword back into its place. All those who use the sword will die by the sword. Or do you think that I'm not able to ask my father and he will send to me more than 12 battle groups of angels right away? But if I did that, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that say this must happen? All those who use the sword will die by the sword, live by the sword, die by the sword. There's a Christopher Nolan movie coming out soon called Oppenheimer. And I began seeing trailers for it recently, especially during March Madness. And so I started reading a little bit about the life of Oppenheimer. This wasn't like deep research. This was like Wikipedia research that I was doing on this man. Considered the the father of the atomic bomb. And I didn't know that after his work on the Manhattan Project, he actually came to deeply fear what he had helped bring into the world, what he had helped unleash, this weapon of inconceivable power and destruction unleashed on the world that the genie that is not going back in the bottle. Live by the sword, die by the sword. That's what Jesus says. In this moment of his arrest, Jesus said, do you think I'm not able to ask God to do something about this? Do you think I couldn't just ask God, my father, to send more than 12 battle groups of angels right away? Jesus had all the power in the room, so to speak. In this moment, in his betrayal, in his arrest, Jesus had all the power in the room, all the power in the world. And what does he do with it? What's he do with it? The disciples are really struggling to understand what's going on here. 
Grab a sword. Let's fight. Let's go. Overthrow the Romans. Vanquish our enemies. Vanquish your enemies, Jesus. They're here for you. We've had this reckoning with power in our wider culture and in the church. From the entertainment industry to the church to issues of police brutality. What's power? What's it for? To be honest, I used to think power was automatically bad. Like, like power is automatically going to corrupt whoever has it, whoever uses it. As if power itself was automatically bad. But author and thought leader Andy Crouch has helped me understand a more Christian way to think about power. He says, power is not the opposite of servanthood. Rather, servanthood is the very purpose of power. Servanthood is the very purpose of power. He further expands on this idea. He says, power is a gift. The gift of a giver who is the supreme model of power used to bless and serve. He says, power is not given to benefit those who hold it. It's given for the flourishing of individuals, peoples, and the cosmos itself. Power's right use is especially important for the flourishing of the vulnerable the members of the human family who most need others to use power well to survive and to thrive, the young, the aged, the sick, the dispossessed. He says power is not the opposite of servanthood. Rather, servanthood, ensuring the flourishing of others, is the very purpose of power. Jesus holds all the power in the room, all the power in the world. And what does he do with it? What's being subverted here? Hear these words from the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in a city called Philippi. It's believed that some parts of the scripture was actually like a song that the early church sang. Hear these words. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The disciples of Jesus, they want to take up arms. They want to use violence, violent force to bring in the kingdom of God. But Jesus says that's not how the kingdom works. That's not how the kingdom of God is going to come into our midst. It's impossible to do the work of God's kingdom with the means of the enemy. The how, the how God's kingdom comes, the the way the ministry of Jesus unfolds, the way we participate in the ministry of Jesus, it really, really matters. How, the the way, it really matters. In other words, the end, it does not justify the means, no matter how we try to spin that line. The how, the, the way matters because the way of Jesus, it always takes the shape of a cross. It's cruciform. Because Jesus, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, the one who spoke creation into being, is the one who took a towel around his waist and knelt down and washed the feet of his disciples. Jesus, who spoke with authority and calmed the storm, who spoke to calm the wind and the waves, is the same one who said, I'm among you, as one who serves. Jesus, who healed the sick, who welcomed the outcasts, who, who proclaimed with authority the good news of the kingdom, 
is the same one who died a shameful death hanging from a tree. Jesus holds all the power in the room, so to speak. All the power in the world. And what does he do with it? I was walking up 8th the other day, going that way, uh, towards our apartment down 8th, and uh, someone turned on 8th, going the wrong way, uh, speeding down 8th. And so I did the, like, hey, wrong way, you know, like, that. it was either, like, steal second, or it was, like, hey, wrong way. Like, I'm not totally sure that that was understood. And the person who uh, was going the wrong way leaned out her window, and she, she yelled at me, I know! I was like, okay. <laughs> Wasn't sure you did. And she, she sped by me just going like faster the wrong direction and then like turned down another one way the wrong way and then you know and so I just kept pushing my stroller but I was so struck I was so struck by that interaction because honestly that's me a lot of times like I'm going the wrong way I'm headed in the wrong direction and if someone points it out I just want to double down I just want to go harder and faster in the wrong direction I think we do that sometimes as the church going the wrong way. And Lent is this season to actually hear the voice of God saying, that's the wrong way. That's the wrong direction. And if you keep going down that road, it's going to end badly. So do we take Jesus seriously? What he says, what he does here in our passage? Or are we like, nope, nope, we're just going to swing harder. <laughs> Maybe that will work. Maybe you want to ask, okay, yeah, but, but like using our power to serve, to seek the flourishing of others, considering others more important than ourselves, does this really matter for the real world? We relegate Jesus sometimes to like the quote-unquote spiritual things, like, like church stuff and individual piety, but does Jesus really know what he's talking about for the real world, for how a business should be run, for how injustices in our world should be confronted for how leaders should lead and managers should, should manage, for how communities should treat one another and seek to bring change in, in our communities, for how to parent, how to serve on a board, how to be a good neighbor, how to treat people. Whatever power we have, whatever power you have, privilege, influence, position, do we use it to just get our way, force our way, Make your point, make sure your voice is heard, cling to control, try to get people to do what we just want them to do. Or maybe honestly, for some of us, it's kind of the opposite. Like we just want to run, we just want to flee. Maybe the temptation is not to uh, force our way, but to abdicate responsibility, agency. If it's fight or flight, maybe some of us are going to take off running. The disciples, they do both. (laughs) Just a few verses, we see the disciples taking off. Running, hiding. But, but church, our call is not to run and hide, to bury our head in the sand, to ignore the pain and suffering and injustice around us. That's not our call. And our call definitely is not to sort of use our power to force our way, to work our agenda, to assert our will. So what are we called to do? What's Jesus subverting here in this passage? And it's not just how we think about it individually. But as we consider the implications of this passage for us as a church, for the church in this city, the church in this nation, the church globally. In her book called The Crucifixion, author and Episcopalian priest Fleming Rutledge writes this. 
An eight-year-old can see more clearly than some of the rest of us that well-meaning programs for improving the human species are not going to accomplish much besides making the designers of the program feel good about themselves. We don't need a program. We need deliverance from this whole cycle of violence and vengefulness. Humankind needs to be saved from itself. In her book, she writes about this medieval Italian monk named Anselm who saw in the cross of Jesus Christ, quote, God liberated us from forces too strong for us. And the Bible sin is not just something we do or don't do. It's actually a power that enslaves us, which means we don't just need forgiveness. We need freedom. We don't just need forgiveness. We need deliverance. We don't just need forgiveness. We need liberation. Because for all of our best efforts, for all of our best, we got this, we can do this, scientific advancements, technological breakthroughs, what we actually need is for God to break through the cycle of violence and vengeance, to disarm the powers of death and sin and evil and chaos. And Jesus does that through his death on a cross, liberates us from forces too strong for us, powers of sin and death and chaos, the powers that feed on violence and misuse of power, the powers that kind of work behind the scenes in our world, the powers that are hell-bent against God's goodness and God's good creation, the powers that wreak havoc in our world. And here's the thing. Jesus doesn't overwhelm with force. He doesn't overpower by violent means. He surrenders to the violence. He surrenders to the violence brought upon him. He surrenders to the violence brought upon him on the cross. He doesn't dominate. He dies. And somehow in the suffering, the sacrifice, the self-giving of God, there's victory. There's new life. There's recreation. There's healing. There's restoration. Not just of us, not just of our lives, but all of creation. There's this moment in our passage, it's kind of easy to skip past it, kind of easy to miss it. One of the disciples swings his sword, cuts off a man's ear. What's Jesus do? He heals him. He heals him. In the midst of the violence and the chaos, he heals him. He touches the face of the man. I was trying to imagine that scene this week when I was studying this passage. Like, did he, was, did he I don't know. <laughs> he heals him. Guys, this is what Jesus does. Friends, this is what Jesus does. This is our God, God in the flesh, healing what has been devastated by sin and evil and chaos and violence. Andy Crouch says that the ultimate power is the power to create, the power to recreate. The God who spoke creation into being out of primeval chaos, brought order and life and abundance is the same God who died for us hanging from a cross and in the chaos of the cross brought forth life and new creation. And we're actually invited to participate in the healing work of Jesus here and now, to participate in what God is doing in our communities and in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods, in our city and in our world, to be about God's work of renewal here and now. What is the power to bring change, to heal injustice, to make the wrongs right, to bring change in our lives, our stories, our families, our world, to soothe our fears and to bring peace. We sing of his name today. We shout it from the rooftops. Jesus, the crucified, 
and risen one. Amen. I'm going to invite us in just a few moments of quiet, of reflection. I'm going to guide us through a time of prayers. I invite you, if you want, to close your eyes as I lead us. Get comfortable in your seat. God, help us to see you. Help us not to miss you, the quiet moments, the healing of this man's ear. The ways that you could call forth all these angels, but but you carried it through. Your actions for us and for our rescue. Help us to see you, God. To know more of who you are. God, we confess the ways that we are tempted to cling to control, to kind of want to force our way forward. Maybe underneath all that is fear. Maybe underneath all that is a scarcity mindset that there's just not enough and so we better fight. (laughs) Take a few moments just to talk to God about where you're tempted to use your strength, your power, to force your way forward. God, we do grieve and lament the way that power is misused in the church and the other spaces in our society. We grieve and lament uh, the violence. Particularly, we think this week of our own city and the shooting at East High School. We grieve the loss of life, the trauma, the injury. We grieve the history of gun violence in our own state, in our country. Take a few moments to bring your complaint, your prayer, your petition to God. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to see, Jesus, how you're at work, that you would give us imagination and creativity to not just fall back or slide back into the old, but that you give us imagination around the new thing that you're doing. The way to join you as people of peace and justice, grace and hope. Take a few moments and pray that God would send us as a community to be agents of healing in our city and world. Take a few moments now just to ask God, what's God saying to you today? Is there something that God wants you to hang on to as we go from this place? In Jesus' name, amen.